I last read The Sun Also Rises long enough ago to have forgotten all but the odd detail. But the sharpness of the details I remembered, the chestnut trees of Paris, the running of the bulls in Pamplona, was a sufficient reminder that the book had always struck me as fresh and vivid, the perfect expression of a young writer getting into his proper stride. When I first read it, I was a young writer myself, and scarcely into my stride at all. I remember that the book filled me with envy. Reading it once again, and at the end of my own career, I am less envious. Clearly Hemingway's own personality had always scared him into suicidal excess, but still enchanted by a prose style that gave us such a vivid semblance of simplicity. All too often he overdoes the repetitions in those dialogue passages where the speakers seem mainly intent on echoing each other's phrases. Worse, when they get drunk, they start echoing themselves. But even with that irritating trick, he occasionally gets it so right that you laugh. Mike, the most consistently drunk of all the book's drunkards, is funny the second time that he says the old lady's bags fell on him, funny because he first said it only a few seconds before, and has either forgotten he did so, or is under the impression that nobody understood him. It is just the way that young, inexperienced drinkers speak when they are plastered. I used to do it myself fifty years ago. In the book, scarcely anybody is old enough to have a past. They live in the present moment because they are young and have to. So they pretend to be experienced. The central figure, Jake Barnes, has the author's past, except that Jake's past is not a lie. He might be the author's self-image, and not least because he lives in a state of permanent sexual frustration. Certainly, Hemingway was always made nervous by women, although he was so attractive in his looks and energy that almost any woman he wanted would come to him like a mosquito to naked skin. Jake's impotence, even in the presence of the beautiful English aristocratic wildcat, Lady Brett Ashley, no doubt dramatizes the author's wishes along with his troubles. In real life, on one of his first trips to Pamplona, Hemingway, with his first wife Hadley, looking on, paid attention to Lady Duff Twisden, and had a fistfight with his Jewish acquaintance Harold Loeb, because Loeb had been successful with her. But Jake is more physically damaged than mentally. The physical damage, its nature is never quite specified, although later on in real life Hemingway spoke of an amputation, has been acquired during the war when he was flying on the southern front. As a consequence, Jake and Brett are in a condition of lusting after each other without being able to do anything about it. The possibility of Jake's being able to do something less than complete for Brett, but still significant, is not canvassed, except in a single enigmatic passage in the book when the two of them seem to have attained just enough satisfaction to make them more frustrated than ever. Today's reader might judge that to be a failure of the author's imagination, but there is no failure of the imagination in Hemingway's making Jake into a war pilot. It is exactly the kind of thing that Hemingway liked to imagine, in the same way he imagined himself to be a champion boxer, even on the day when Morley Callahan knocked him down. Callahan's That Summer in Paris is another book I must read again. Hemingway's war service, though earthbound, was dangerous enough to get him badly wounded, but he lied even about that, dramatizing at every retelling the action he had seen and even the wounds he had received. Later on, in A Farewell to Arms, Hemingway made the hero a warrior so damaged that the nymph-like nurse Catherine seems to be bringing him back from the dead. But already, in The Sun Also Rises, Hemingway had done better than that, or, if you like, worse. 
creating the self-projected character of the noble and stoically frustrated Jake, Hemingway not only gave himself extra wounds, he gave himself wings. He was not alone in painting a picture of himself as the ace flyer. William Faulkner was prone to doing the same until he was caught at it. Faulkner could actually fly, but he never flew in combat, although he allowed people to think he had. Hemingway was forever leaving room for you to think things. During World War II, in which he let it be known that he had personally liberated Paris, he did brave deeds that those responsible for the safety of the people around him devoutly wished that he would desist from doing. Most of the warlike tasks that he set for himself were more than half crazy, but he always left room in the telling for his readers and listeners to believe that his follies had been a strategically important part of the Allied war effort. You would swear that he had arm-wrestled German submarines into submission.